Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you all. Thanks for coming out on a midweek night. And it's great to have uh, Miriam Swafield here from Fusion Movement tonight. So let's give her a warm welcome. Uh, Miriam is Global Student Mission Leader for Fusion Movement, and that's uh, the whole of Europe, I believe. And uh, Fusion are passionate about mission and discipleship for students. And uh, Miriam's recently done a, a master's degree looking into how students come to faith today. Uh, we heard her talk about that at Fresh Dreams in January, and it was really inspiring, uh, challenging, but also encouraging because uh, one of the key elements is the local church, and that's what we are. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Miriam. She's going to come uh, and talk about uh, her masters, and then be, as we go along, there'll be a chance for questions. So let's pray, and then we'll start. Father God, we thank you uh, for the good news of Jesus, and I pray tonight you'll just inspire us to share our faith with those around us and help them to grow in their faith. And we pray for the church's interaction with students in our country, uh, that you will inspire us for that. And and help us to make a home for them uh, and to bless them. And we pray you'll bless Miriam tonight. And thank you for the time she's taken out of her uh, schedule to be with us. Bless her tonight and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Miriam. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Hello. Um, this is actually the dream for me because I moved to Middlesbrough a year and a half ago. And I local work-based things is not very normal for me you know so it's normally like I'm either in Europe or further or I'm at home loving my neighbours and not telling anyone that I'm at home and so you lot being down the road I thought well go on then well go on then North Allerton because that's all right isn't it? I could do that in a night so um, that's a joy just a little bit about me um, I, I'm from the south clearly uh, moved to the north for uni went to York like 10 and a bit years ago yeah because I'm 30 I was 20 sure a decade ago and um and then stayed I was helping lead a local church there called G2 which is like a funny fresh expression of Church of England got planted out of St Michael of Belfry um into a gym so I met it when it was in David Lloyd gym and about 50 people and about five students and uh, I was the kind of student that didn't want to get lost in the masses didn't really like uh, a big church kind of wanted real community relationships wanted to know people's names and didn't want to just sit at the back and a pastor's kid so I was either going to turn out ruined or knew, knowing that church is like really for participation so thankfully I knew to put out the chairs and tables so went to G2 and kind of started student mission there you know we had a couple of small groups but it was quite in introspective and quite kind of safe and so basically my church leaders identified the fact that I was just going to be an inviter and an evangelist and so they said well why don't you try and get the church culture doing that Start with the students and it will change the church culture. That whole, um, I've just really seen it to be true. Uh, when in Timothy it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in faith, in love, in life, in speech, in purity, all that stuff. And I was like, I've seen that time and time again happen. So particularly if you're young adults and youth, if you're representing that lot, I've seen that really change the culture of a church, starting with the teens and the students up. And that kind of... For, uh, end up changing the whole family so um stayed in york carried on leading the church and been working for fusion for the last eight years and so we our niche is um exactly what glenn said we exist to help the local church reach students so you've you probably haven't heard of fusion on campus and you won't really see us on campus not unless we happen to be going with some local churches to serve on like 
we're doing nightclub mission on Saturday out um, for St. Patrick's Day in Middlesbrough. A bunch of churches will work together and some fusion team are coming to add some support in Teesside. But essentially, you don't see fusion on the ground. But what we do pray that you see is hundreds and hundreds of local churches of different denominations, sizes, expressions, all doing their bit to reach and love and connect with their student neighbours. And then for you guys, you would be what we call a sending church in the sense that you'll be raising your teenagers, some of whom might choose to go to university. And um, for us at Fusion, our big passion for you guys is to prepare your teens for university life, for the mission of God outside of their family and context that they're about to leave, and that you connect them to new local church so that when they leave home, they don't drop through the gap, but they just carry on. And in fact, they're accelerated in terms of thriving in their faith. So we do something called student link up, which literally does what it says on the tin. You've got a 17 year old about to turn 18, about to go off to uni. We would train you to prepare them for university. We would student link up them to a new church and we'd help them land really well in new family. And so that the whole thing kind of joins up. So when I did my master's up in Durham, I basically wanted obviously to stay as focused on this whole thing of how do I help equip the local church to reach the next generation. Particularly now we've got our 18, 19 year olds coming through. They're now not my generation, they're Gen Z. I'm a millennial, they're Gen Z. So what are they like? What are they about? And if they're coming to faith today, which we're hearing in greater number that they are, how is that happening? And so I really made the purpose of, I mean, it's only little, it's a master's, so it's only a little dissertation. It's not like I've surveyed the country or anything. But I basically followed in depth 12 stories, six men, six women, from three different geographies, three different types of university institutions. So like a ex-polys and drama schools, not just your Russell groups. And three different types of local churches that they hail from. And basically asked the question... On day one of university, when you turned up, where was your faith? And they would all say either absolutely no faith at all, aggressive atheist um, from a completely different religious background, whether that be Muslim or Buddhist, or just um, sort of raised to know something about it and rejected it. But they would all, on day one of uni, they had to say, I'm not a Christian. And then by the time I interviewed them, which was often at the end of university, um, most of them baptised or about to be, and all of them recommended by their local church student worker and leader as people that were actively following Jesus as disciples, not just converts, actively on the discipleship journey. When I interviewed them, I said, okay, where are you by the time you leave university? And they're like, life laid down, 100% Christian. And I'm like, fill in that gap. What happened? And so what I'm going to tell you tonight is those results. So I basically correlated all of their answers over about 12 hours of interviews. There were like 42 different factors of things that helped them come to faith whilst at university. There were 25 where they all were, at least 50% of the students said that was a thing for me. And there were 12 where 75% of uh, the students' responses all confirmed the same factors. So I've summarised those 12 big findings into the four categories that I'm going to explain tonight. So what we're going to do is take one at a time and have a little think in your context, in this community, in how you guys do life and reach people with the good news of Jesus. Where are you strong at this? Because some of these findings, like Glenn said, some of them you'll go, oh, that's actually really encouraging. Good. We thought that was the right thing to do. And where do you think I've never thought of that as being mission? I, I just never put two and two together around that would help someone meet Jesus for the first time. So we're just going to get under the skin of those findings. Is that all right? So, oh, we might actually have a PowerPoint. Is it working? 
Oh, look. Oh, and I've got one of them. Come on. This church is ace. So <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> so the four big headings that we've got, next slide, are um, the church. And again, I'll get under the skin of what that means. But basically, the body that is the local church. Key relationships. Investigation and that curiosity. And um, encounters with the Holy Spirit. So there are four big headings, and we're just going to get under the skin of what each one means for us. Okay, so first one, church. So under the church factor, um, there are four different elements that kept coming up where these students, and insert the word young person, insert the word 20-year-old, if you like, um, because I understand you're not next door to a university, but it's not like you don't have young adults in your town, and you are raising them. So... In the church factor, the number one, 100% of these students that came to faith, the number one thing that turned up in the results was that all of them had been invited to and said yes to coming to a local church Sunday gathering. Sundays. Now, um, there is a lot of talk around the point of Sundays at the moment in terms of kind of where people are getting around church thinking people are wondering do we really need to do Sundays couldn't a missional house group do just as good a job or a running club or something and um, the truth is a regular Sunday meeting became it seemed like just a regular opportunity for Christians to invite their friends and in every case of one of these students at some point they were invited by a Christian and decided to say yes now in a couple of examples of the Sunday service thing, the invitation actually was they spotted it online via a friend posting it on Facebook, or in one case, they just Googled it because they were looking for a church because they were interested whether God existed and they decided to Google. So, um, in fact, at G2 in York, the, my church, 25% of our new people came through the internet to show up at church. So, um, shout out to websites, they actually matter. Which is why with Fusion we actually do web pages for churches so students can find you. Funny. So, Sunday services. How much have you clocked that your regular Sunday service is an opportunity for mission and invitation? And how much have you realised that on Sunday we could actually expect there to be people that don't know Jesus in the room every single Sunday? Um, only one student mentioned a guest service as being the Sunday they went to. And I would actually like to throw away the term guest service because isn't every service a guest service? Isn't every opportunity when we gather an opportunity for someone to see more of the kingdom of God, particularly if they don't yet know about it? Um, Next in line, small groups. So your small groups really matter. Um, What happens in the midweek? Lots of these students found that they could easily connect with, ask questions and actually build relationships because of a midweek group. And that was, Alpha was mentioned a couple of times, but it's worth saying again, the regular rhythm of meeting together in the small was a perfect invite opportunity for people to know more. And all of them were personally invited again. So what happens in your midweek? Is there any opportunity to connect in your midweek space? Thirdly, the welcome. These students just kept banging on about how welcomed they felt, particularly on that Sunday moment. They really noticed that people of different ages and stages would reach out to them and say hi. A lot of them mentioned parent ages being very important for them feeling part of the family. And many of them talked about it being like a judgment-free zone in how they experienced the welcome of church. And the final thing that hits under this heading, uh, one for Glenn, brace yourself, is um, Sunday preaching. It turns out they're listening. If you're a not yet Christian and you're sat in the room, it might be the first time anybody has spoken about Jesus like that. 
And so where sometimes it might seem like some of our young adults are a little bit disaffected at the back and you're not quite sure whether they're looking at the Bible or Facebook, the truth is if you're not yet following Jesus and you're here and somebody does this, you want to understand what's going on so you lean in. They really find sermons helpful. They find the preaching helpful. It's probably the way they begin to get interested in the Bible, actually, if no one's introduced them before then. Now, so we'll just scroll through. I could, um, if we had more time, I'd obviously tell you how all of this is nothing new. Just look in the book of Acts. But we'll keep rolling. Um, it's all there, guys. I mean, this is, you know, um, why did I bother doing a master's? So um, we'll just flip back one. Some quotes that you can see. Um, I just love it. So, again, people feeling looked after. This is some of the things the students were saying about Sundays. Um, yeah, one person went to church um, to prove that God wasn't real and then the opposite happened when they walked in the room which is quite funny so they're like this is my experiment I'm going to prove that God's not real oh no God's real because he saw people love one another and encountering God together and so again that inclusivity thing and um, feeling welcome just massive and I bet this church is pretty good at that already but notice all of this is an invitation to people that don't yet know Jesus everyone talking here talking from a place of I wasn't following God when this happened so Turn to the people next to you, quick chat, um, which will be on the screen. Basically, analyse what's going on for you guys. What about what I've just said about some of those distinctives of the local church? What, what are you thinking, yeah, we already do that. We're already seeing that that is a missional opportunity. And where are you thinking we have not thought about our small groups being a place for invitation? So have a quick chat just to process that factor. What do you think? How are you guys doing? Go for it. Okay. I'm going to keep moving through because then it means we've got time for Q&A at the end to bring out some of the distinctives. So, um, so you can see it's kind of encouraging already because you're like, oh, we do actually do that. And even you guys talking about multiplying small groups, um, that's really, really helpful because you're absolutely right. The bigger the group, you need to know that you're missed if you're not there, essentially, when it comes to small groups. Uh, there needs to be an element of follow-up. There needs to be an element in which you think if uh, the, the room is poorer if my contribution of my life, my story, my voice isn't in the room. And also you need to be able to go, there are there enough chairs that I could invite my friend rather than we're already at capacity and the host is a bit stretched. So actually multiplication is a really important part of a healthy living small group. Okay, so next factor, relationships. Now under that, firstly, real encouragement. Um, I think bar two of these students... Everyone said that a key Christian friend told them about their faith. That is your regular peer. So not somebody special, not somebody well-trained necessarily, just somebody being honest. Um, these students just said whether they met them on a night out and wondered why they weren't as drunk as everyone else. And they're like, oh, are you sober? Why are you sober? Oh. And they, and they were just honest about going, oh, I'm a Christian, just don't get drunk. I'm all right. Yeah. And which also causes intrigue which meant that in that case that girl just followed that guy for a term to find out yeah but why yeah but why yeah but why all the way through to a housemate going oh, I'm trying church on Sundays anyone else want to join all the way through to oh I'll, I'll pray for that yeah I'm a Christian I believe prayer like makes a difference um basically the normal honest non-weird Christian just like just being honest about their faith not making a big thing out of it just being real just spoke volumes because it meant these guys who for very different reasons became open to the things of God had someone to go to they had someone to ask their important questions they had someone to rely on 
And so key Christian friends, and 19% of the time, they were the people that were saying, would you like to come on Sunday? Would you like to come to small group? Those invitation spaces, which means you and I are that key Christian friend for somebody, guaranteed. You might be their only key Christian friend, if we're honest. But just to encourage you, it's that normal friendship thing that just creates an open door. Secondly, loads of these students said that mentors were really important. Mental figures, we'll say. Not all of them had the Christian language of mentor yet. But it's worth you knowing that in younger generations, having a career coach, a counsellor, a mentor, um, a guru, that's actually not that weird. So whereas in my parents' generation, when I say to mum and dad, like, I'm always encouraging, like, mum, you should really mentor people. Quite often, I think this is a bit of a thing. She'd be like, oh, no, well, they wouldn't be interested in me. What would I have to offer? And um, I think what we miss in different generations is that we're not looking for you to have the right answers. We're just looking for relationship. And so it's not that you need to know everything, particularly not about how to be a 20-year-old. It's just, will you actually listen to me? Can I have tea with you? Can I have access to more of your life than just a hello on Sunday? Do I matter to you and can you matter to me? So all of these students, they identified a key person that wasn't a peer as being important in their journey, which means for a multi-generational church like yourselves, that's vital that we don't become ghettos of the teenagers stay there and the young adults stay there and we don't mix, which is, you know, why I was really pleased that people moved now and again even when I asked you to talk because we must talk to one another and if you lot in the room don't go first your guests really won't so we've got to be the ones that walk across the room break the awkward ice I quite often drag a student to you know like when parents are covered in banana and toddlers they don't necessarily look very accessible and it's not that that young parent doesn't want to talk to a 19 year old it's just it's chaos right now and i'm sure you wouldn't be interested in this scenario and so sometimes you need the confident one to, to break the awkward ice just drag the 19 year old over and go hey um you did law they're doing law do you think you can get a cup of tea they can join in with a school run cheers and then you sort of do it again and you you know uh, so we've got to be less afraid of each other because it's very important particularly for people that don't know jesus to feel part of the family these students were identifying mentoring relationships. Another thing which I absolutely loved hearing about was that um, these students commented on the authenticity and integrity of Christians. So under this relationships banner, this idea of us lot being real, again, there was no language around Christians were perfect. None of that. But they were real. They did what they said they were going to do. They actually cared how... How, when they asked how are you they felt like they actually wanted to know and um, they basically lived it you know even in that stumbling grace of not always nailing it they lived what they wanted to kind of represent Jesus by doing hence you know um, one of the quotes one of the girls uh, she was in a, in a dance course and all these girls were saying they were Christians but um, wouldn't swear but were sleeping around and then there was this one Christian girl who swore like an absolute trooper but wouldn't sleep with her boyfriend. And uh, this, at the time, non-Christian student was like, she's the one that means it. Because culturally, she was like, that is the most offensive thing. For you to not be enjoying this lifestyle of all of the drama school vibe, for you to like, quite literally put yourself out there in a way that's like shocking in this culture to, to not be having sex when you could be. That made her go, okay, so who do you follow and how do you do that? I've never seen that. It was this integrity thing of, you know, even though she swore like an absolute sailor, how funny. Um, 
the final thing that came up in the relationships thing sounds like an anomaly from all the other findings, but I think it's really important for us, particularly, um, well, those of us will know, but you know, with anybody, but this is particularly true if you're doing teenage years right now. Um, all of these students came to faith in the context of carrying in broken relationships. So they were meeting Jesus in the middle of quite often painful scenarios. Now, Jesus wasn't always who they called out to in the moment that a relationship broke down. But when they began to get close to the God who forgives, who reconciles, who causes us to love where we're pretty sure we were resenting, up bubbles things like, I've not spoken to my dad in 10 years. Or um, my sister and I are at war right now. Or I was abused. And so I just wanted to say it is worth knowing that our young adults, yes, are in some ways more open than ever to the things of God and the spiritual. That's coming out, whether, whether it's Christianity or not, they're open to the spiritual in quite remarkable ways at the moment, which is why we really hope that we speak Jesus in, into that void. But they're also coming from some of the most broken contexts of family relationships and human relationships in general that we've seen. So that's another context. If we flick forward to um, some of the quotes... So just, uh, yeah, oh man, one of the girls um, felt so ostracised because the community that she'd come to university at was so elite and so rich and she was not that it was the church that gave her validation as a person where she felt utterly rejected by the social etiquette of her university. Um, church friends felt solid. Uh, yeah, that's the one that said, I found home and respect in the local church. She didn't find it in her own city. And there's some more quotes on the next page, I think. Oh man, there were so many stories of forgiveness. It was beautiful. And um, and just finding hope in loneliness. Loneliness is pretty epidemic. You'll know that the loneliest generation now is the 18 to 24 year olds. So um, again, anything we can do around building relationships with these ones are really important, even if they seem guarded at first, because they are, um, they really need it. And um, forgiveness, just that really struck me that I'm like, man, I don't know whether I we do enough sermon series on forgiveness and reconciliation, given um, just how much brokenness and bad conflict there is going on right now. So let's have a chat again under that heading of relationships. How do you think you guys are doing? Where does this resonate? Is stuff you're strong with? Where are you seeing an opportunity for growth? Go for it. Have a chat. Okay. We're going to keep moving so we've got time for a few more questions. So you can see that none of this is particularly surprising, just in terms of what we know of how the community of God's people expresses itself with one another and out in the world. But it's more that thing of we, um, we sometimes just carry on maintaining what we're doing and we sort of forget sometimes that there are lots of people of peace walking around, that the harvest is actually plentiful and that a lot of what we're doing wasn't really for our benefit in the first place, but kind of the body is actually healthier as we look outwards. As we make disciples, we become deeper disciples of him. So it's just sometimes we forget, that's all. So just to remind you, really. So the next one, um, I've called investigation. And there's a couple things that sit under that heading that I think are helpful. So firstly, um, just the space to ask questions and to get curious and to investigate and to kind of pull apart a bit. What am I hearing? What does that mean for me? Well, what, why does the Bible say that? Well, how do you trust that? Those sort of spaces, absolutely vital. Now, you'll know that in school, young people are taught to question. 
We're not just sat at the front writing lines anymore. It's not that we just hear and memorise. We're, you know, even from primary school, you're put around tables now for discussion. And so, um, which is why lots of things like cafe church, there's ways in which that really does make sense because in lots of other spaces in life, that's how you're sharing ideas and community. Um, so now and again, moving your chairs might not be a bad idea just for fun. So in investigation, um, students just articulated this idea of there being this judgment-free zone in which they could ask anything and they didn't feel laughed down or they didn't feel like that was silly. And that's really important. And that says something about the small groups they were in and the friendships they were in. Because there was less emphasis. Only a couple of them said, or oh, I got answers to my questions. The real emphasis was on I had space to ask. And if you look at the gospel accounts, um, I mean, you'll know this, but Jesus doesn't answer questions. Like he really doesn't. He gets asked over 180 questions. He uh, he asks back over 300 questions in response. Hilarious. He answers three directly, where it's a, a direct response and not, well, what do you think it says? Well, what would you do in this scenario? Well, you know the law. What does it say? Well, have you got sin? Because you could throw the first stone if you do. Really interesting that the Messiah himself asks us to be curious, not just to find neat answers and walk away feeling better about ourselves, because also that's probably quite paper-thin theology. Instead, he sort of says, no, go deeper. No, you're asking the wrong question. No, this is bigger than that. Actually, the kingdom of God's upside down. Actually, it's inside out. It's back to front. And so these students found that doubt wasn't a problem, which is such a relief, because it might be that church culture is changing a bit around rather than Thomas the doubter, what a shameful disciple. Instead, we're like, thank God for Thomas, genuinely, because thanks to Thomas, we know what the resurrected body of Jesus is like because of that account. Thank you, Thomas, for asking the question, not just believing the crowd, not just believing the hype of his friends, but going, actually, I want to see it for myself. Do we have spaces to ask questions? The other thing that comes under investigation that I think is important, well, we know it's important, but it's just good to know for mission, is that the Bible is a big deal. <laughs> now, we know that, but... Do you know that the Bible is a big deal for people not yet following Jesus? Lots of them testified to getting this almost supernatural hunger for scripture as they were exploring the things of God. They wanted to read the Bible. One of them, as she was coming towards faith in Jesus, was getting up two hours early every morning to read about him. Are you giving Bibles as part of how you're sharing your faith with your friends? Are you sitting with them and asking questions of it together so that they know how to access scripture rather than, thank you very much for my Bible, what do I do with it now? I guess I'll start at Genesis and not make it past Leviticus. You know, like, are we, are we equipping people to dialogue with it? I think one of the best things that's happened in recent times around Bible printing has been the birth of the journal Bible, which, if you haven't seen it, is a normal Bible, but with big margins that is made to scribble on. Now, young people particularly have bought that en masse. You'll find that younger generations still prefer paper Bibles to the phone. They might look up for references on their phone. They might be on their phone the whole time, but the truth is we still want paper. And actually, the way that you memorise scripture is through actual paper, not screens. Right now, science hasn't developed screens well enough to mean that our brains file in our memory what we read on a screen. It can't do it. For whatever reason, it goes into a different category. Paper, we're able to memorise more. So if you want to memorise scripture, read your Bible in paper. 
But the journal Bible has allowed us to dialogue with the Bible again when we've almost got oversaturated with books in this culture, that the Bible is just another one. Instead, the journal Bible means that young people are scribbling their questions, sketching, asking things, underlining things. They're making it a holy book again because suddenly it's personal to the extent where you don't want to just give it away or leave it on a shelf because it's kind of your diary. It's your dialogue with God and you've, it's suddenly a sacred text again. Really interesting research around the whole Bible and paratech stuff, but it's worth us thinking from a mission point of view, people are meeting God through the word of God. Now, Jesus is the word, but he has breathed the Bible into life and he does speak to us through scripture, but we often think it's a Bible study for the Christians where we've kept finding in this research, it was people not yet knowing Jesus that were finding the Bible incredibly powerful. There's some quotes that will come up from them. Yeah, so again, just ex just appreciating space and patience, really. Um, and again, just hearing other people's voices. Again, we're in a culture now where it isn't just that one voice has the monopoly on opinion and that we all just take it from the pastor. That's just not true. So that's not true in school. It's not true in life. We, In fact, we mainly crowdsource opinions from the internet and our friends. And so, um, although parents are still more of an influence than you realise, but... Uh, we want to hear other people's stories. So even on how on a Sunday you give testimonies, for example, uh, even how in small group it's not just one teacher and all the pupils, which I'm sure that it isn't here because I think hopefully we've all kind of moved on from that. But the idea of everyone getting to share and give insight and bring their voice, that's very normal and powerful for younger people. But if you're not yet Christian, and you also have a voice into saying, well, I read this and I didn't really understand it, but I read a blog about it. You know, one of them was like, I read the book of Job and a blog and I loved it. I'm like, what? No non-Christian says that, but they did. That's, that was their first book they chose. They think there's some more quotes. Yeah, I read the entirety of Matthew in one night. God bless him. Two hours early. No one does that. But the non-Christians do. And... Um, this just remarkable. I love that cost of following Jesus. I kept hearing about the cost of following Jesus. Then I read, read the Bible and was like, oh my goodness. So I counted the cost and then I paid it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Another one was like, I lied all the time. Just lied prolifically. Then I read the Bible, realized you're not supposed to lie. So I stopped doing that. I'm like, you what? <laughs> Stop lying. And also great that you stopped lying because the Bible. Anyway, so um, have another chat again. Uh, what do you think? Where does this fit for you guys? Do you have space to ask questions, investigate, wrestle? Do you have space to not answer the questions, but actually just let some of the mystery of God hang in the air with the stuff that we don't know? Where does the Bible fit in your evangelism? Have a chat. Go for it. Okay. Sorry. Going to keep you moving so we can do the final one and give you a little bit of space. Okay, so we've covered the local church and the ways it expresses itself. We've covered relationships and those different dynamics under that. We've covered investigation and the power of the Bible and asking questions. And then finally, um, this one's slightly dubious because I've called it the Holy Spirit, but quite clearly it's not like he's absent from all the things I've already mentioned. So um, this would be more a case of um, more overtly supernatural experiences of the Holy Spirit. Um, so rather than we know uh, the Spirit of God breathes through relationships and people and the Bible and hopefully when we preach on a Sunday, but who knows, Glenn? Sometimes not, maybe. Like, maybe he just leaves the room. Who knows? Um, <laughs> the truth is uh, I needed this category because um, this kind of fits under the power of prayer to make a difference. That was a big thing that came up, that prayer actually works. And then some of those manifestations of the Holy Spirit that... Um, some, some of them were miracles, some of them, 
some of them were miracles of the heart, really. But um, in both cases, I just didn't want I just didn't want to take out the fact that God is doing things that are outside of human control all the time. And when not yet Christians discover that he does what they'd kind of expect God to do rather than people, it actually draws them into believing in him. So um, have a little think. Prayer. Now, there's one thing to say, I'm praying for you about that. And um, and I found that in my own personal evangelism quite easy. It's quite it's quite a nice throwaway because it's almost just like bless you, I'll bless you. No, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for you. Um, and then I'd have to there and then because I'd often forget. So uh, you know, you'd be like, I'll pray for that. Oh, gotta remember. And so I started in my language changing uh, that to say, can I pray for you now about that? Just to challenge myself, really. Uh, comfort zones are movable, and so I thought I would quite like to shift that one and make it normal for me to just lay a hand on a friend and say, can I pray for you about that now? So whether that was, oh, my mum's not very well, she's in hospital through to, I'm really anxious about my exam, or I've woken up with this funny pain, I'd just be like, can I pray for that now? And so um, quite often I just wonder whether our everyday opportunities, it just involves leaving the door open for the Holy Spirit a little bit more, just so he's got an opportunity to take the space. And so a lot of these students were um, really impacted by Christians praying for them. And sometimes it was just in a small group setting, but it felt kind it felt good it felt powerful to be prayed for and in other times it was um quite remarkable so um clearly this meant that bold christians were brave enough to pray for things where you'd actually know if it got answered or not and i think that is a nice challenge to all of us if we've got a little bit comfy in our christianity is do you actually put the onus on god having to do something because you definitely can't for example, when it comes to praying for physical healing, some of them actually experience physical healing, but that involves the courage of a Christian to say, can I pray for that? And, and in one case, it was their sister came out of hospital the next day miraculously when this girl turned up in an absolute state at the church and they all just stopped there and then and prayed. And uh, she, she got healed, and, and which obviously made the girl pay attention that God might be real. In another case, uh, this guy was going to get kicked out of his house. His money had all gone awry, wasn't making rent, didn't know what to do and shared it with his Christian friends. They prayed. Literally, one of those envelope with cash in it experiences came through the door the next day. Now, God doesn't always do that. He's not an ATM machine, obviously. He's not like a, you put in the right numbers and then you just get the right result. But the truth is, brave Christians must have had the bravery to do something outside of their control and to actually say, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to do what I can't. Will you heal? Will you save? Will you make a difference where they haven't slept in days? So that's actually quite a fun challenge for all of us. Are you praying prayers that you actually know if they're answered or not? Because the difference isn't you. As well as, of course, I believe in us embodying our prayers. Like, love your neighbour. Don't just pray, God, will you love my neighbour? Obviously, go and love your neighbour. Like, knock on the door, see if they're all right, crack on. But there are other ones where you just can't fix, like unforgiveness. You can't heal somebody's heart for them. You do know who can, though. How are you doing with praying for that? And when it came to supernatural experiences... Um, there were loads of testimonies of um, people feeling like a weight lifting off them. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Because we know that's the gospel, but it's really nice when they actually say it and they don't know that says it in the Bible, you know. <laughs> and so lots of them had this experience of lightness. Lots of them, again, received that ability to forgive. One of them went home and told their um, abusive father, um, I love you for the first time in their life and it was that point that their mum went you've met God because there's no other way outside of a transforming experience with something other than yourself that you could have done that um, 
quite disturbingly but not surprisingly, a quarter of these students, no, a third, sorry, a third of these students uh, were experiencing uh, suicidal thoughts or were about to attempt to take their own lives when they heard the audible voice of God speak and stop them, which is extraordinary and a little bit scary to find. Because when you have one, you go, goodness me, that's an exceptional story. And then when you get four out of 12, you think this is quite worrying and also quite remarkable, particularly when you hear that what the father said was very, very similar. Something along the lines of stop, I love you, your life matters, you are worth something. And then quite often a feeling of go to church or speak to that Christian. Amazing, right? Which also fits into the broken relationships and the fact that we're carrying in a bunch of stuff and when you come into contact with Jesus, he has something to say about it. And so there were lots of supernatural experiences where they just felt something shift in them. In fact, there are some beautiful quotes. One of, the, one, of the, one of the lads just spoke like poetry. I wonder if... Oh, there we go. It was like someone was putting a hand on my shoulder and pulling me back from the pit that I was more than ready to throw myself into. Lots of them feeling joy for the first time ever which is quite amazing, lifting weight off their shoulders. Lots of them, the supernatural experience was more like they were crying, but it was a happy crying. You know, that stuff which you understand after a bit when you've been a Christian, but first you're like, why am I crying? But I'm really pleased. What? There's some more quotes. Um, oh, just prayer being incredibly pow powerful. In fact, that's a really good point I nearly forgot to say. They prayed. So they had experience of prayer being powerful in terms of it making a difference in their life, but they tried praying for themselves. So something I've also been working on when I'm sharing Jesus with someone that doesn't know him is that I'm trying not to pray first anymore. So, for example, nightclub mission. We'll do it again on Saturday. Prime opportunity um, because semi-drunk people are very honest about how they're really doing. And then when you say, well, look, uh, can I pray for you? Because I'm not ever going to, it's not like I'm going to lead a drunk person to the Lord. That's not, that's not helpful. Uh, but I will introduce them and I will introduce them over prayer. So they've got half a chance in the morning of remembering that they spoke to him rather than thinking they might have been coerced into something, you know. So I'd often now say, um, would you, should we pray about that? Because I will have just shared something pretty horrendous probably. And then they'll go, yeah, uh, yeah, sure, go for it. <clears throat> and I'll go, oh no, um, you go first. What? And I'm like, yeah, no, um, it would be crazy if you thought that only I could talk to God. Like, it's just really important to me that when I leave and you go home, you know you can still talk to God. So you go first. Well, what do you mean? What do, I do? what do I do? Well, just talk like you've just talked to me, but he's listening. But what do you want to say to God? If God's real and he's here, which he is, what would you say? So then they go, oh, um, hi, God. Um, and then they sort of say what's going on, and then they sort of go, is that it? I'm like, yeah. Can I pray for you too now? Sure. Do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? Great. And then I'll ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill them with your peace? Would they help to know that you're real, that you're with them, that you love them, Jesus? I just confirm what they've just said to you. God, I hear them. I'm with them. God, I ask for breakthrough in that. But I make sure they go first now where possible. Now, they're not always comfortable to, but I want to give them the opportunity to know they don't need a mediator. They don't, particularly not when you're articulate. It's a nightmare. Because then, one time I prayed, and this guy looked at me and went, wow, that was good. How do I do that? And I thought, that's just because I'm articulate. That's not because, you know what I mean? Like, that's unhelpful. One absolute nightmare, off tangent, a nightmare story one time at church. I, um, I, I gave a word at the end of the service and sort of invited people to respond. And a student came up to me at the end and went, wow, that's a really good spontaneous rap that you just did. I was like, no, that was a prayer. Oh, no, I've accidentally rhymed. I rhymed mid-prayer. 
and she thought I was rapping. So now I make them pray first, just so they know they don't have to be a spoken word artist in order to talk to the divine. What a nightmare. Anyway, <laughs> what a pain. Uh, so um, final, final talk. Let's think about this. Prayer. How much are you praying for things that make sure that actually you have an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do something? Secondly, do your not yet Christian friends know they can talk to God? They don't need you to do that. Like you can coach them into that. And um, the supernatural, lots of them t- sort of testify to seeing people encounter the spirit. They weren't worried by tongues. They weren't worried by people falling on the floor, shaking, crying. That, that wasn't a concern. That made sense because wouldn't God work in a way that would be extraordinary? So quite a lot of them, even if they themselves didn't experience something that physically manifested in that kind of way, they were like, I didn't always experience it, but I, I found it really encouraging to see that people were actually encountering God in different ways. That makes sense, doesn't it? That it's God. Like, so... J- you know, we, we often say our friends no for them, or we get worried for them. I do all the time. I'm like, Lord, let this not be the service where that woman talks in tongues out loud. You know, it's just like, oh, that'd be a nightmare. Don't let it be the money talk. And then our friends are just like, well, of course you talk about money, yeah, because you're like a family business, isn't it? You've got to do some stuff. And, um, oh, right, a language you don't understand. Psh, sure. Angels? Yeah, why not? You know what I mean? Like, they're just not like... <laughs> they're just not as famous as we think. Anyway, have a chat. What, is this, what does this look like for you lot? Go for it. Okay, folks, um, we're going to have uh, an open mic time. So uh, if you've got questions about anything Miriam said, just raise a hand. And or anything this will, I haven't said. This will be delivered to you. So wait till this gets to you. And Judith Smith is a runner. <laughs> <laughs> she, she volunteered. We've not just forced her just then. That was a prearranged agreement. You know how you mentioned about, like, say, when they pray themselves yeah. and then they get the response, that can often lead them to think, well, that's real. Mm. How would you deal with it if they didn't get the response? Because in the past where I've said, well, let's pray about it. Yes. And I have. And then they haven't got an answer to prayer. Then they've yes. gone, well, clearly that's just just confirmed that he's not real. Yes. Good. So, because that's also quite normal in the sense that um, I guess the emphasis is more that you can talk to God rather than God will always give you exactly what you want. So um, when it comes to helping other people pray, their major emotional response in terms of some of the things the students were saying were, oh my goodness, when I started talking, I realised there was actually somebody listening. So they had quite a kind of supernatural like, awareness of, I'm not, I'm not the only one here, when they began to try praying. When it came to praying for specifics, um, what I wouldn't, because I'm there, because in th- these scenarios, you're their friend. The good news is um, you're not just going to throw a grenade and say, your back will definitely be healed when I pray. You're their mate. So you go, you know what? Sometimes like God heals people. Like sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he does. But um, I can't, but he might. Shall we ask? And so I've often, when it comes to those sort of things, because that's just honest. The truth is I don't know. It's not like uh, I'm not one of those people that has that kind of the Lord says somebody is definitely going to get healed of cancer right now. More often than not, I just have lots of shots at goal. And the more shots I have, the more I score just because I've had a go. So um, so I just try and be super honest about that. So when it comes to something specific and particularly when it comes to things like money, I'm able to just say, you know what? I know that God provides and sometimes he literally puts money in bank accounts. So if you think you're going to get kicked out and we don't know how else to do anything, we might as well ask him. And so I'm really open about we might as well ask together. But that's different to uh, an, in general saying, you know, you can talk to him any time. So I'd say it's kind of two different nuances. One is 
real specific. Go for it. Ask God, why not? What have you got to lose? Particularly if you frame it around, he might not, but it's okay. Like, let's keep talking. Let's keep praying. And then the other one is, oh, no, you should talk to him yourself. He can hear, like, and then it just means when you're on your own in your bedroom, if you get a bit lonely or a bit, like, you get nightmares or whatever it is they're going through, you can remember, you can talk to Jesus because like, that name really makes a difference. So it's all about that dialogue. It's all about friendship and honesty, um, particularly when it's, dis- it's disappointment, which will happen to, I don't know a single Christian that's not been disappointed by God um, because we're still learning what he's like and what he's about, and he is much bigger, and it is confusing. So just being able to talk like that is super helpful. Great, great question. Um, you've condensed your research into the four factors there that are positives that made a difference in those journeys of those 12 people. Are you able to share any negatives that almost turned them off or problems yeah. we need to avoid? Great question. Um, obviously, I wasn't digging for that, so I more just let them sort of freely share their story. Um, there weren't any major... Uh, the thing is, we're we're not... I'd, I actually quite back the church that we're not totally stupid. So um, we, we've we all got horror stories, but they know about them too. So some of their preconceptions were that church would be uh, judgmental. It wouldn't be, it, they would feel really on the outside and that they'd be like preached at. And so then they found it to be incredibly welcoming, incredibly uh, open totally not afraid of all their questions and challenges you know some of them are like oh, I really hammered my Christian friends I feel bad now they're like the time that I gave them and the how patient they were um and even in the preaching they felt incredibly interested by what we were saying rather than judged so I think that says a lot about how we're we're learning a language of grace and invitation uh, grace and truth getting getting the blend of Jesus hopefully a little bit better um but there weren't any major uh negatives only no, I mean, these are all people that found Jesus. So it's kind of difficult because things that might have turned them off at school, like, you know, there, there, were, a few, there were a few bad examples of finding um, a Catholic school very difficult to be in. There were, but there were a few very negative examples of their Islamic background or their Buddhist back background being incredibly restrictive or difficult for them as well. So um, it, I really did, some of it was real inherited. The parents gave an incredibly hard time for showing interest in faith. They were tilt to be open-minded until it was Christianity. And they'd be open, keep exploring, and then the parents were furious when they met Jesus. So um, I think if all of us pay attention, stay God-aware and self-aware, we're not going to drop some major clangers. Where, but you've got to stay God-aware and self-aware because it's only when we don't think that we do stupid things and we say something off the cuff to a visitor that we realise... It wasn't even what we meant, <laughs> but when they're so fragile and they're so new, first impressions is their impression. So it's 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 just being nice and aware. How can you be the best invitation that Jesus loves them and that they're welcome? But um, yeah, good question. My research would have been far less fun if I'd have tried to pick out all the problems. <laughs> uh, the other Sunday, um, uh, there was two visitors uh, in church and. Yeah. Uh, uh, I said to them, I said, oh, it's good to see him. And I said, it's a good church, is this? And they said, uh, well, what makes a good church? Great question. And uh, I said, well, the love of God is shed abroad in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And love does draw people, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right. But I think in a lot of churches, in a lot of organisations, We've got to be wary of cliques. Yeah. And uh, 
when people, <laughs> you know, um, we never get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm -hmm. And uh, when people from outside come in, uh, you know, and we've got to take an interest. Mm -hmm. These young people take an interest in them. I'm interested in Alex and Ellie and Isabel, and I wish that, and I pray for them because I, I want them to grow in the Lord. So it's really good. You know, the worst feedback I ever got when I was helping lead the church in York, it broke my heart. I cried when I read it. Is um, somebody had emailed the church the pastor beforehand and said I'm looking for a church I've seen this on the web your website looks good um I'll think I'm like is it on on Sunday essentially and we're like yep always on you know come on down and then um my pastor didn't see them whoever they were uh or he didn't get spoke he didn't speak to them or whatever anyway so he followed them up and went were you there were you there just out of interest just you know because we're probably about your size in York now so it's not always that easy to speak to everybody obviously and they messaged him back and said, yeah, I came and not a single person spoke to me. So I felt uh, so isolated that I left and I won't be coming back to church. And that made me cry because firstly, that's on my watch. That's my community. Even if I wasn't there at the service, I wasn't as it happens, but that's my family. So I am the church. That's my responsibility. So I've dropped the ball there. And secondly, that is literally the opposite to how Jesus works, isn't it? But I'll tell you what, in practice, it is hard. Because if we haven't caught up in the week, and we haven't, because life has got busier and we're not all in each other's pockets in the same way anymore, it does sometimes feel much more uh, of a relief to get to church and just have some safe space with some good friends or to have that catch up because you miss small group at the week or dot, 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 dot. And the truth is it is a pain, but we are going to have to do exactly what you're doing. Stay aware and walk across the room. We're going to have to watch the clique because it is incredibly tempting to just stay safely in our bubble. Particularly, we do this with students all the time. They sit in a ghetto and you have to, you know, you just have to shake them up. But you can spot your leaders because the leaders, the ones that get it, see their friends sit down in a row and they don't sit down with them because they go, we're mates. This isn't going to offend anybody. And they look who is on their own and they go, how are you doing today? And so if, if you're leading and you guys are sat here because you can culture set in your church, you wouldn't be here on this night unless you weren't that kind of person. I'd say actually it's on us to set the tone around, I'm married to you, I love you, I'm leaving you for that person. You know? <laughs> set the tone, walk across the room, make friends. You've got to do it. You've got to do it because otherwise, um, you're right, it can there will be people that have not been... I, I give that feedback to pastors as often as I can. I had one of my students going to check out a church to do an internship. He came back and told me about all the times he hadn't been spoken to. And I just rang the pastor because I thought, if that's my church, I'd want to know. And I just rang him, like one of the best churches in the country, and just went, you guys are phenomenal. But it took until the fourth service for my student to get spoken to. And I just thought, it's horrible feedback, but it's exactly what I'd want to know if I was leading it. So I'm going to let you know. And he was like, thank you. That's exactly the kind of thing that after a while we miss. So, yeah, really good point. Really good point. Um, how do you uh, balance teams and collective responsibility? So, for example, we were saying, you know, it's great. We've got a really well-trained up, invested in prayer ministry team here. That, and there's a pretty banner and there's a corner. And this is where you come for prayer. And this is where you come for coffee. Um, 
And, and the kind of thing that you're talking about seems to be sort of breaking that down. Actually, it's over the coffee that you say, can I pray for you about that now? Equally, the welcome thing. We've got a great welcome team. We've got stewards who stand there faithfully, smiling, welcoming, shaking hands, talking at the door, but welcomes everybody's responsibility. Good. How do we balance those, those things? Because we want to do things really well. Good we also want to do things collectively great question and obviously we know that church isn't sunday centric so this is a particularly sunday centric example but this could spill out in everything we do this as a church culture we um, sometimes fall into the trap of the worship leader worshiping on behalf of us all and the preacher teaching the bible on behalf of us all reading it and the prayer team praying on behalf of us all the truth is we're all the prayer team we're definitely all the welcome team we're all the worship team we're all in some way learning and feeding each other in the scriptures so ideally, these different areas of serving make sure that the rest of the body stays aware and mobilised rather than we do it, you don't do it. So on, it, on the best case scenario, for new people that don't know who to talk to and don't feel confident to turn and say, can I pray about that and aren't going to get spoken to in coffee, thank God for the prayer team. I have a prayer team at the church that I'm serving at now. That's really helpful because there are some people that specifically want a confidential conversation and some support. And they know where to go. But we're all the prayer team. Which means it's also on, on those of us teaching from the front. It's also on us to sort of say things like, to remind everybody. By the way, chances are, if you don't yet know Jesus and today's actually sparked you to think, oh, I think God might be real. Um, talk to your friend who you came with. And if, and if you didn't come with somebody you feel you can talk to, why don't you come talk to me? Or, hey, you know what? I reckon there's a few people in the room that really want to pray through their relationships with their dads. Now, chances are you're sat next to somebody that could be brilliant at that because we're all the prayer team here. But if for whatever reason that doesn't feel like the space you're in, we've actually got a team over there just in case, just to make sure nobody leaves here without getting prayer. So it's kind of that language from us at the front, but it's also you guys modelling it again. And again, the more this is the safe house to practice in because anyone in the room is in some way open to Jesus because they're here. Whereas when you're in the workplace, if you've practised saying to your mate, should we pray about that? However awkward you might feel, it makes it much easier in the office when somebody comes in having an absolute shocker of a morning and you're able to go, it doesn't sound really funny, but can I just pray about that with you? Do you want me to pray for you? Because I can just see you're, you're really anxious about that. And we've actually practiced that line. We've practiced to go, shall we just quickly pray? So um, I'd say teams are culture setters rather than the only people that do it. That'd be the, the hope. Same with evangelists, all that. That'd be rubbish if it was just like one evangelist per church. <laughs> We'd be really bad. <laughs> um, you mentioned briefly at the beginning um, something about sort of what is the purpose of the Sunday morning meetings. Mm. Um, and I think that that's something that's quite tricky to sort of really get right. And, um, you know, having spoken to various people where you're like well is it is it for the people who already know god is it for helping people to go deeper in their faith um or is it meant to be like an evangelistic platform always there purely for newcomers but you know like where do you get the balance of are you kind of feeding the flock or are you just being like the net that's being thrown wide kind of thing and actually do you need to worry about those things at all or yeah like what good. advice would you give about that good so that's that's definitely something as a community we should actually wrestle through because that isn't really a quick answer is it your theology of what we're all here for now the truth is if we look at the acts church they weren't doing guest services but they were eating together sharing with one another teaching from the scriptures and the people were being added to their number daily 
there's something around the people of God when we gather together where the Holy Spirit is in some way more tangible and the presence of God comes in a greater measure. It's just what he does. We don't know why, but it's a blessing of the fact that God has got a community and people and togetherness. So he loves it. So the truth is we're going to meet whether there's uh, somebody seeking um, or not. We're going to meet. We're, we're told to, we're encouraged to, and we know that Jesus shows up when we do. But um, I don't think we need to segregate what uh, categorize all that stuff. I think actually the truth is the people of God, are, uh, yes, we are so dysfunctional, but we're also beautiful. Actually, we kind of fulfill all those things when we're functioning as a body. The truth is, as you teach the Bible, not only should it be feeding us, but not in a way that means we only come on Sunday to read the Bible or that we think we're getting fed on Sunday. No, we're being taught how to cook. We're probably getting a bit of a meal, but I also expect you to be eating on Tuesday. It'd be weird if you fasted all week, unless it was literally a spiritual thing, in which case, like, go for it. But really, you should be reading a Bible and working out in community what this looks like on Wednesday, not just on Sunday. As we teach the Bible and the things of God, it doesn't need to be every service is an altar call, but the truth is, as you teach the truth of God, even in the money talk, I bet, I bet there's an opportunity to say, you might, this all might be new for you. And it's crazy because you've just realized that God's actually interested in your wallet and he's interested in your mind and your heart and your soul and what you do with what you've got. And if that's news, that's actually good news. You know, it might be an opportunity for you to come to know Jesus today. That's everything's evangelistic, really. But, you know, it's not like every every Sunday needs to be a kind of come to the front. And we've actually just told the lost sheep every week, um, which is lovely. But um, again, it comes down to... Uh, what do you think discipleship is? Because I think discipleship is mission and mission is discipleship. I don't think you can separate going deeper with going out. I think love God, love people. So I think part of being a disciple is making, a dis making disciples. Part of reading the word of God is putting it into practice. You hear the word of God and you put it into practice. That's the people that love Jesus, he says. So then suddenly you're like, oh, and part of that means we're constantly inviting. And one of the major things, just don't use weird words. Like, just watch your jargon and you're probably fine. We'll all be more comfortable in inviting our friends to church if we just assume every Sunday, I bet there's someone that this is new for. Let's make sure, number one, they feel super welcome. Number two, I sit next to them if I can, just to translate a couple things. Like, so many times I just have to explain what communion is. Because they're like, why are you drinking wine in church? I'm like, good question. Let's quickly brief you whilst this happens. You know, so now and again, you just sit next to your mate, coach them through. And um, we just call each other out if we're using weird Christianese. That's what, you know what I mean? Like if we just if we just say a word that our mates don't understand, we call them out and just be like, don't do that again. Just explain it. That's okay. Um, I used to practice my talks with my non-Christian housemates at uni when I was first learning to preach because they'll call me out. I'll be like, tell me any words that you don't understand in this. And it's also another way for them to get preached at <laughs> so I practice it they'd tie me and then they'd say um what does repent mean and you're like cracking question let's go into that so I actually think there's a way in which we are we are open we are inclusive we're invitational and we're going deeper I think it's possible um but we're just we're just gonna have to experiment we're just gonna have to learn and then now and again of course you do a special one like we're about to scrap our evening services and do alpha as the evening church which is revolutionary with where I'm at right now and probably highly annoying to most of the congregation but we've got so in the pattern of churches there to serve me oh, I was just like we've got to shake this thing out or we're going to be in big trouble because it's like we're maintaining a building appalling so we're doing alpha which is very annoying because of course it's not really focused on you getting a lovely bit of Bible teaching a lovely bit of liturgy and then off we go watch the grass you know so I'm trying to shake it up so what it looks like for you guys will be different of course 
But just keep thinking, are we, are we invitational? Could someone who doesn't know Jesus, one of my friends, could they be here? And they won't get it all, of course they won't. It's Jesus. They don't know everything yet. Neither do we. But could they still feel like they're invited on that journey? So this fellow down here was next. In the excellent, I mean, what colour would we call that jumper? Is it, is it salmon? Is it, a, what is, is it a smoked salmon jumper? Yeah, go on. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. Class, I think, is the word you were looking for. Boom. <laughs> drop the mic. Drop, don't drop it. That's... Uh, Miriam, thank you. Appreciate what you said about the Sunday. Is there a place for sharing faith, forming community outside in the different subcultures? You talked about the gym in York and the fellowship yes. that's formed in the, the Barantines. Is that a context? I think one of our strengths here is the gathered church. Ah, okay, sure. But there are lots of subgroups and people around yeah, yeah, for yeah. whom still stepping over the threshold of however welcoming, hospitable, accepting community Good. of faith that's alive in the spirit is still an obstacle yeah and so um my theology is far more incarnational um than it is events based or sunday focused so um which is why i moved to middlesbrough actually not for the church literally for my neighbors so um i'd be very strong on the us understanding god lives in us and we are now incarnating god as jesus moves into our neighborhood so we move into our own whether that's in law in business in agriculture on our street with our families with our friends i think an overflow effect of what you live in the day-to-day -day means sometimes on Sunday you get an expression of the family get-together and some reasons to celebrate rather than we live for the Sunday and hope we make it through the week. So I actually think that we, we should, if the dream would be that we turn up to Sunday ready to share and contribute all that God is doing, not just come because Sunday serves me to survive my week. We all go through wilderness seasons where we cling on to the family of God because we're not really sure where Christ is. And that's where the beauty of rhythms of prayer, of worship, of liturgy even, uh, are anchors when we're all over the place. But the truth is, um, Sunday is an overflow effect of meeting in one another's homes and sharing the gospel on the street. And the kingdom of God is so much bigger than the church. So we get to see the kingdom of God manifest in the body of Christ. We get to see this sign of the kingdom of God by how us lot gather and meet and invite. But the kingdom of God is spilling out in ways that we'll never, ever contain in any church building or any space. The dream would be that we start planting small groups after work and in our lunch times. That, you know, we see prisons spring up with little kind of communities because we've gone and visited. Because we see in schools like little Christian unions of a lunchtime and that it turns into a kind of revival prayer meeting. That kind of stuff. We want that to spring up all over. We don't want Glenn to know all of the stuff that's springing up because it's too much. He kind of loses count of where people are innovating moments of the kingdom are breaking out. You're doing street angels, some of whom you might one day see walk through this church building. But most of that is kingdom stuff on the street you're praying for the kingdom of God to come and you've got no idea where that fruit will show up because you're not in charge of those results so that's definitely my theology I think it was an important finding to discover the invitation space of the church it's a great invite opportunity so if you're good at the gathered better be to invite others rather than you're just good at the gathered but the scattered church is what we're doing the rest of the time which is why how our gathered is postured as a sending place is also very important because where are you going to be going tonight what are you going to be doing tomorrow? And it would be weird theology if we felt the Holy Spirit was less with us or less anointing us for Thursdays than Sundays, right? So, yeah, I'm with you. Um, I was just thinking I'm, I'm totally with you with the relationship thing um, and all about relationships. But I, I was just wondering at the moment I'm kind of feeling quite challenged on 
how do you look after yourself as well? Mm -hmm. And Good. if you're forever feeling led to that person who's who's who needs a bit of Jesus, then how do you? I don't know. I think I guess I'm on a journey of working out. I'm important too, <laughs> Good. and I need to look after myself. And um, I just wondered if you've got any advice on how you do that. Yeah, well. great. Um, do you know what the Enneagram is? No. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Uh, go and Google the Enneagram and find out what you are because I found this incredibly insightful for working out why my personality needs to be needed and why I could burn out on giving out. So one of the major things we'll learn in discipleship is that how, how good a no is as well as how good a yes is. Uh, so I learned in my 20s, I'll learn it for the rest of my life, no question, but I couldn't be not burning out in Middlesbrough in the community I'm in if I'd not learned it earlier, basically. That um, I don't do the saving, thank God. So that's helpful. The Messiah complex thing, which I, I thought I fell into for sure, particularly in my like student years, because I just came out of my gap here being like, I'm going to save Africa. And then the Lord's like, go to York, learn about Shakespeare, calm down. <coughs> so um, uh, I had some really good mentors that went through my list of things that I thought I was carrying and helped me in the early days, helped me discern what I was actually carrying, what wasn't my responsibility, what definitely no one asked to be my responsibility either. So I'd actually have a friend hammer you on some of that. Um, thirdly, I just am learning to ruthlessly trust Jesus. Because the truth is, the need that I live in now, I do not know a single neighbour that isn't going through domestic violence, abuse, addiction, and poverty on the street that I live in. I do not know how to live that and to carry the way of Jesus lightly unless I'm really good with my boundaries, really good with time at home, really good at shutting my door, really good at when they can and can't wake me up in the middle of the night and really good at knowing this side of heaven, I won't see all of the hopes and dreams that I think that is possible for them in terms of freedom. So I'm living in an incredibly extreme example of need now, which was deliberate, but it's because I learned um, boundaries and I learned to share the load and I called upon the church body and you know what's really painful is when you realize you are the only one that cares and so there's times when there'll be somebody where actually nobody can quite be bothered to go to the effort that you go to with them and sometimes that means I've gone the extra mile and sometimes that means I've had to go Jesus I physically cannot parent them so I'm putting them in your hands in a really hard prayer and I'm saying they are your responsibility, Father, because I can't do it. So, yeah, I've really gone on that journey of knowing I'm enough in him, but because of who he is in me, his invitation I can step into. But if there's just one you, you'll die. And if she's the only one doing the work, we'll all be trouble. So, but you know what I mean? So, but I'd say get some mates to help discern because when, when you're like, I just, guys, I basically don't know what to do. They'll, your friends will really be able to help you know whether you've got more to give or whether actually you've over-egged it. Like, chill out now. Go and have a bath, you know. Enneagram. Oh, yeah, right. Can I just say about this, before you Google it and think it's pagan, it's not. <laughs> it's the ancient desert father Christians. So Enneagram is spelt E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. It is a personality style thing, but unlike Myers-Briggs, which is more work-based, performance-based, the Enneagram you read it, you discover what your, basically it's heart motivations. It's very uncomfortable reading to discover your number on the Enneagram because only you know you, only you know your true motivations and the way that it discerns it with you is it will tell you the negative stuff about you that you, like, so the fact that I can say I need to be needed unless I'm in health, healthily discipled. 
My default, if not healthy in Christ, is I'm helping you because it makes me feel valuable. Now, healthy in Christ and self-aware, I know I can genuinely be some of the most giving, relationally switched on of people when I'm healthy. When I'm unhealthy, it's quite manipulative because I'm giving and giving and giving, but it's actually because I feel like I deserve something back. So um, the Enneagram, I'm not, I'm not getting any money for that, but all I'd say is re- if, you, if you want to, I'm trying to get my parents to do it. Honestly, it'd be so helpful, but never mind. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, flip. Um, it helps you be self-aware and God-aware. And then the invitation is towards growth. And the cool thing about the Enneagram is it doesn't, you have a, a number, but you move. You move in growth and health, it says where you go to, and in insecurity and stress, it says where you go to, which is incredibly helpful because obviously one person is a movable, emotional, experienced being. So um, anyway, it's very, very popular at the moment in the church. It's been around for centuries. It's just somebody clocked it in the last five years and now it's gone massive. That's the truth. So it's, it looks trendy now. Look at it on Instagram, Enneagram and Coffee. Honestly, it's everywhere, but really, it's, it's really old and not pagan, but it looks it on the image. I'm not a heathen, I'm sorry. Um, oh, one there and the one there. Oh, yeah. We're going to sneak it to the back first, but and then you. Hi. Um, hey. So I've come from a background of Christian church-based youth work, cool. but I now work in a school as a, as a school chaplain. Mm, amazing. So a really different um, base. That, you know, like my base is really different now because I'm working mostly with children who don't know God. Um, one of the things that I've really found, I think it's really helped grow me as well, but is that often, like in that church scenario, you've got quite neat answers where people tap into kind of known sort of scriptures or mm-hmm. um, belief systems about God, mm-hmm. and it can seem quite black and white. Yes. But um, when you present, when you're presented with stuff, which I'm sure you have all the time as well, and worse than I do, but which just is messy, really messy, and there isn't, you can't fit those neat answers. Correct. doesn't work. Um, And so I find, I don't don't know if this is more of an observation for comment or a question, I'm not sure, but I find that, um, like, the bottom line is you just have to show God's love. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes the theology gets a bit confusing and a bit messy because the situation is confusing and messy. And so um, I think one of the things I've really come to, to see is that whatever I say or do, it must pre- represent God as a God of love. And sometimes that means that the, the sort of black and white lines that you get in church, don't, you can't really mm-hmm. make them work. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe my question is, it's, it's like trying to be authentic mm-hmm. and be truthful and represent God and his word well. But you're also trying to not, like, you need to not be judgmental and be showing his love. Um, and I just wonder sometimes whether at church we maybe don't quite get that, you know, like, because we are kind of needing to be authentic to the Bible. But so I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, really. good. You know, the culture coming up is that's not going to be that uncommon in the church either. That's where it's going. So a lot of our teenagers, even if they're not saying it, the truth is they're not sure what we're saying does actually scan in real life. It's not really actually working for their mates like that. And when you actually look at scripture, are you sure that conclusion that you've come to is actually what it says? So the truth is that isn't going to be that unusual with our Christian kids as well. 
It's just that right now there might not be so much space to be honest about that. Hence, the space to ask questions is much bigger than having the right answers. Now, the truth uh, of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the presence of Christ in us, uh, and, the pr and like God's teaching in the Bible, obviously the church has been arguing since the beginning about what the Bible actually means in practice. So it's also fair to say there's lots that it's clear on. There's lots that we say it's clear on where it's not that clear. What I think we're going to have to learn to do in this culture is to sit in the mystery and the tension that we don't know everything. Because certainty has become what everyone is reaching for, particularly in a climate like Brexit, dare I say, at the moment, for example, or go to the States and they're all on fire as well. So... In, a, in an age of nothing is certain, there has been a real rise in black and white theology that's certain, whereas our lived experience is, I am certain that God loves me and that he's with me and everything else as to what he's actually doing and what I do about it is a little bit more mysterious. <laughs> that's actually most people's lived experience. It's just having the permission to say, I don't know, let's pray. We're going to have to wait. Or, dare I say it, you're going to have to live in the awkward tension of it's going to take longer to work this thing out because you can't just tell it in a neat sentence. And with long-term addiction, pain, with gender dysphoria, with mental health, with all the stuff that's actually quite normal, but we don't necessarily make it normal in our conversations in these contexts, um, I'd love to tell you, it's actually really simple, and I'd love to tell you that every testimony I've got of somebody with an incredibly complex background coming to know Jesus and being hit by the Holy Spirit, it's all got sorted in one breath. I have testimonies of that, and I've got testimonies of the literal polar opposite. Same God, don't know what to do about it. I don't know. I don't control him. It's a nightmare. So I'm learning myself to live in the tension with my own friend's experience of coming to know Jesus and then how they live that out being a really messy story with far more need for messy grace and uh, and even just framing truth around um, I love you, this is what I believe to be true and I, st I stay walking with you and loving with you even though we disagree. That line is harder and far more kingdom than it's this and you're in or out or it's absolutely everything and absolutely nothing. The difficult line is going, in this family we think there are some family boundaries and rules that the father's put in and we're going to try our best to be true to the family, um, the way of the family. Um, everyone's invited into this home. Everybody's welcome at this table. Here are some of the things that we feel like in, in this family are our family-like way. Um, and we are going to walk with you even when you disagree with what the parents say. That annoying line of I disagree with you and I love you and I'm going to stay your friend is really hard. And somewhere in that fog, I think Jesus is sort of still in our midst. How annoying. How annoying that he was known as a drunk and a glutton. Isn't that annoying that even Christ had this scandalous reputation because of what he was living? And you're like, I wish you were clearer. I wish, I wish you said no alcohol. And instead you went eating and drinking, but you didn't get drunk. What? So then we get this weird offensive thing called self-control where the spirit actually overcomes the flesh and God gives us everything we need to live it out in the tension of the society, the culture and everything going on. And you're like, Jesus is annoying, isn't he? Because he makes God so real in the realness of our mess that you can't get away with black and white. You've got to walk right the way through the middle, distinctly full of God and yet distinctly full of humanity. How annoying. But yeah, so well done because what you're doing is actually what is going to 
be in our church slash it's what's going on with our kids. It's just that you're on the front line in that. So keep talking about it because that actually gives us a heads up for what's coming. Wish, oh my goodness, it's nine o'clock. What is this? You've all got work in the morning. Have you? Maybe not. Maybe we can have a sleepover. I'm joking. Yeah, give him the mic because I'll just keep going otherwise. Can you come back next week? No. <laughs> no, stop it. I'm half an hour away. It's ages. Well, thank you, Miriam. And thank you, everyone. Um, it's, it's been great. Um, I've, I've asked Phil, uh, leader of our prayer ministry, just to give you a little word of encouragement now before we close. So, Phil. Hiya. Um, yeah, so Glenn is one of his lovely... Oh, by the way, can you get a word for Miriam? <sighs> Which... I so love that, yes. So, so at lunchtime I went for a walk. I put down my spreadsheets and I went for a walk. And um, this is what happened. So um, I went for a walk today and I felt as I was walking around, God draw my attention to a large magnolia tree, um, which I walked underneath. Uh, so that's how big it was. Um, and, and the buds were in all sorts of different stages of opening. And I really felt uh, that I should stop and look at it. And I sort of heard... Miriam Magnolia. So I stopped and I had a look. And it was a cold and windy day and the sky was really clear and it was really sunny. And I felt that what God said to me was, he showed me that the most advanced flowers, which were fully emerged from their buds when standing tall and upright, um, but they were still closed. Okay, And I prayed around it. And I believe what the Lord is saying to you, Miriam, is despite how far you've come, there is so much more development still to do. There's much more opening, much more growing, much more spreading. And you need to trust that the light of God is all around you and don't stay closed because of any chill winds that are blowing. Um, and I felt Matthew 6 was for you. He says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to her life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I felt it was the Lord saying to you, your father will give you all the physical resources you need for where he's taking you. That's so bang on. I can't even tell you why it's bang on, because I'm not allowed to, but it's bang on. (laughs) (laughs) Can I I pray for you? Anybody else want to come on? Anybody else want to come and pray? Just uh, come and pray with me. Just come over, lay hands on him. <sighs> Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that you call us out and you call us into new things. And Lord, we just want to thank you so much for Miriam. We thank you for the gifts that you have clearly uh, blessed her with abundantly. But Father, I thank you that you have so much more for her. And Lord, though she is ahead of many, 
Lord, you have so much more to lead her into. And Lord, I thank you for the fullness and the opening and the spreading and the beauty of what she is going to achieve, for the the odor and the fragrance that she's going to release of Christ. And I pray, Lord Jesus, your blessing upon her. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will anoint your daughter to serve you as you intend. And Holy Spirit, please will you infill her powerfully. And lead her, help her to open up to the sun of your presence. Lord, not to fear the cold wind, but to feel just the sun around her and to respond to your call. Lord, please make her beautiful and attractive and precious in your sight. Lord, use her powerfully, but resource her every step of the way. Lord, it is your power, your provision, your provision that is needed. Lord, help her not to go anywhere else and trust anywhere else, but to trust her Father, that where you call her, you will provide for her needs. We thank you for her, Lord. Thank you for the challenge she's brought to us. And we pray you'd help us to take these things deep into our thinking and understanding and that you will challenge us and move us forward and help us to grow and open. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yeah, I'd love to. Love you. Holy Spirit, I am so grateful that we're family because we all uh, live and abide and have our being in you, Lord. So, King Jesus, I ask in your name and authority that you would uh, anoint this church with a fresh passion and insight for evangelism, for your mission, God. Father, I pray that each one would feel stirred and invited into your great adventure. Holy Spirit, I pray even now that you'd nudge each of us about uh, people that actually we just at some point dropped off the invite list. God, who is it that even now we might offer to pray for, drop a text to, invite? Stir us, Lord. May it start with us that we might not just declare that we're going to become more missional, but we'd actually live it ourselves, live into that story. God, I pray for favor and breakthrough. I pray for people to walk into our small groups and Sundays and context off the street just interested. Father, I pray you give us eyes to see people of peace. Lord, I pray that the things that are for this church take root and bear much fruit. And that, God, even now you'd be mobilizing those that have got that flutter in their heart around evangelism that you'd fan that into flame, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, we ask that this church would grow simply because new life is being born and formed here. Father, may Northallerton look different because your kingdom people are on the move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd just like to um, share a picture that God gave me. It was of a massive bunch of roses, um, red roses. And as you take one out and give to somebody else, I see that duplicate to two. And as that person gives one out, then I see that duplicate again to two. And I believe that the the love of Christ Mm. that you share with each rose will be duplicated time Mm. and time and time again. Praise God. That's the prayer, isn't it, for everyone, really? Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, guys.